Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tottenham. Uh, an odd episode this one because it's a very positive one, which uh, you won't be hearing that and you won't have heard that very many times at all. Uh, so we know, football is back. Bump to mind. Football is back. Whether or not it should be back is another matter, but let's try and be positive. So Premier League is back, starts tomorrow. Uh, game's thick and fast. Um, and... I'll go through all the games in the first kind of round and what I think will happen. And um, you know, Spurs injuries, that's made the rumour mill recently, so talk about them and how I think it's absolute nonsense. Uh, and then ending as well on what has been a real, real positive this week, and that is the positivity and, and brilliance and wonderfulness of the person, Marcus Rashford, who has uh, made the government make a U-turn on something they should have never banned in the first place. Um, so yeah, so without further ado, let's talk top. So football is back and yeah, it's been a long time coming, a few months off. Uh, whether it should be back is another question up for debate. And there's also what rules are actually there for Premier League players or footballers or people with money and what rules are there for the Joe public. Uh, so we had a friendly against Norwich, uh, get to the friendly part in a second. We had a friendly against Norwich and then the day after one of the Norwich players has come down with coronavirus. Uh, but apparently none of the players have to self-isolate and, and, you know, which you'd have thought that all Norwich players who played in that game or have trained with the guy and any Spurs players on that pitch uh, should be isolated for 14 days. I, I when I go shopping, it's only a five-minute drive, so I listen to the radio, and then I always get the announcement. This is an announcement from the government for the next steps. Uh, the Test and Trace app. Uh, if you've been told you've been in contact with someone with coronavirus, you have to isolate for 14 days, but apparently footballers don't because the reason I heard was that this player wasn't in contact with anyone for longer than 15 minutes, which I have no idea where that rule's come from, but, you know, there's plenty of people who... who I would imagine being depressed or upset or lonely, uh, whose parents or friends live around the corner from them, but in another household so they can't see them, who would have loved to have been able to go around there every week for 10 minutes with no risk. So I don't know where that's come from, but again, it's just, you know, all these different messages that you're getting and then people wonder why people go to the beach and, and just ignore everything. But yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but to the friendly, uh, we lost 2-1, uh, and then you get all these Spurs fans, negative Spurs fans who want to have a moan or just want to have a bash. Uh, some of them are calling for Mourinho's head, absolutely ridiculous, that we lost to Norwich. But friendlies, you know, there'll be countless examples, countless examples. Like Fulham, when they got relegated from the Premier League, won all of their pre-season games. And I think the, t the time we finished second in the league behind Chelsea, I think we had a pretty poor pre-season in terms of result. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like pre-season is there to same for England friendlies to uh, in a sense to to try out new formations, tactics, players, uh, and then also what it's mainly there for is to boost up match fitness because you, you can be as fit as a fiddle you know all these players could have been going for runs and, and workouts and using their home gyms every day in this lockdown but there's a huge difference between being fit and being match fit so that's what it's there for and you've only got two games to do it two games in quick succession and 
So there's no way that the same players who played against Norwich were playing against Reading or, or completely. But we, we lost the game. Apparently, we were 1-0 up in control, and then we changed it with a, a load of fringe players coming on to get some match fitness, and then we lost. But all this concern about losing a friendly, you know, it's just it's not a competitive game. It's there to boost match fitness. So don't worry about it. That's all it is, is to boost match fitness. And then calling for Mourinho's head, I, I would imagine they're just the people who didn't like Mourinho coming in in the first place, so it just adds their... their you know, I wouldn't say agenda, but adds to their, like, yeah, oh, I don't like him. But, yeah, and, and now there's rumours coming out that, uh, oh, well, it's not a rumour, that Ali's been suspended. We'll talk about the injuries rumours in a second. Uh, Ali's been suspended for his uh, video mocking coronavirus, which quite rightly he should have done, quite rightly, because it was just disrespectful. But then how... Carl Walker for having a sex party, breaking the lockdown rules, and Jack Grealish for driving around, haven't been banned at all, is just, I just don't understand it. But again, it's another case of the government and, and the powers that be just, you know, not really knowing what they're doing. But, you know, you've got Delhi Alley, who at the worst caused offence with his actions, so rightly so, banning for a game. But then Carl Walker and Jack Grealish could quite easily have indirectly killed someone because of that, if they'd have, you know, passed it on or someone had passed it on to them. Now they don't get banned, I have no idea. Uh, but again, you know, I, I, I'm i not going to sit here and say, oh, Ali's been harshly treated because he should have been banned because it was a ridiculous thing to do and a stupid thing to do and an offensive thing to do. Uh, very in insensitive thing to do so he should be banned but then my point is that those play other players should be banned as well because they've done the same but then you know you know half of our squad would be banned for that case for breaking lockdown rules which they should be because you know the whole country is being told to you know make these sacrifices and not see people and then these players are just doing it without any um you know consequences for them so <laughs> no surprise that people are just going doing what they want but anyway, and then you come to the rumours that have circulated. Tanganga's got a stress fracture in his back, I think, so he's doubtful for the game. Uh, Celso's lacking match fitness, which, uh, newsflash, the whole Premier League is going to be lacking match fitness because they haven't been able to play for two months. And all they've played is two games in friendlies. And now Sun is a doubt as well, which, looking on the Premier League uh, app, uh, anyone who doesn't use that fancy football, what you have is you have uh, uh, triangles with uh, orange exclamation marks for someone who's doubtful, red exclamation marks for someone who's out of the game or suspension or injury. Sun hasn't got any. I don't have Lacelso in my team, so I don't know about him or Tanganga, but Sun hasn't got any. So all it is is rumours. These newspapers and, and media places haven't had anything to report on for two months, apart from just like speculation on transfers. And now they're just, you know, chucking out like, oh, injury this, injury that. I would imagine if you're another team, you, your Twitter feed is probably full of similar stuff for your players as well. So until I see it officially on like BBC Sports, Sky Sports, Spurs official tweets or, or, or Facebook page, I won't pay that much attention to that. And who's to say it isn't Mourinho just uh, playing mind games? You know, uh, we've got Man United in a massive game with four points behind them. Uh, so if we can win, you know, if we lose that, then 
I think top four could pretty much be gone within the first game back. But if we win that, we're right back in that hunt again. You know, four points behind them who are in fifth, seven points behind Chelsea. Uh, so we really need to win that because if Chelsea win their game, which is, uh, I'm not sure who that's against, uh, against Aston Villa, uh, away to Villa, which could be a tricky game. Uh, but if they win that then and we lose to Man United, then we're a long way off there. We're, we're 10 points behind. Uh, eight games left so it's a must win game so who's to say it isn't Mourinho mind games going oh you know man you, know, you don't have to worry about Sun because he won't be playing you don't have to worry about the Celso he won't be playing and then all of a sudden boom they're in the team so you know and it's not like it's a, a manager who's never played mind games before in his life this is Mourinho who's played it a lot so who's to say that won't happen um, it's a very good chance I think that it could just be mind games. Someone said that Sun had strapping against the game in Norwich. You know, a load of players now have strapping on their legs and stuff like that. And and you know, it may not necessarily be that he's injured. He may just be a little bit stiff because he hasn't played football. And and Sun as well went to do his military service as well. So he, he you know, even though I'm sure that that was a lot of fitness needed for that. It's I would imagine it's completely different fitness to. Kane, for example, going for runs on his own, going into his home gym, uh, using weights. I would imagine it's completely different fitness there. And I would imagine in the army as well, it's a lot of running, a lot more running. So maybe it was just precautionary because he hasn't been working his, uh, the rest of his body and he's maybe been overworking his legs. So I, uh, until it's official, I, I think, you don't need to pay attention to rumours. Like, you know, like I said, all these media outlets and, and papers and everything like that have had nothing to report on in terms of sport for the last two, three months. So they're absolutely desperate for news. And, you know, it has been said before that newspapers make stuff up. So, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So any, anyone who's worried about the injuries, until you see it officially, I wouldn't worry about it or take any interest in it or, or, or take it seriously. Now there's also talk of uh, Foyth going out on loan which I'm slightly worried about that. I wouldn't be doing that at all um, being that we've got God knows how many games in a very very short sp space of time here. So if you think like you know we, we've got uh, Man United on the 19th and then we play West Ham again on the 23rd so that's four days, but then other teams have got three days rest. But then that 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 rest of three four days is going to be continuous to the end of the season now. I think so. You'll get and these players haven't been playing, so they're not going to be. I would be amazed if in that first game week, so the seventeenth to the twenty first, if there aren't a fair few injuries from different teams, just because of you know, tightness. It doesn't have to be like a leg break injury, but I'm talking about like, you know, after the game, a bit of tightness, he's limping a little bit, he's got a bit of a strain uh, just because he hasn't played. And it's not like a pre-season, uh, you know, in the summer where you have six weeks to get back to fitness, you're playing game after game after game. Literally, they've had two, three months off, which is longer than you have off, or, uh, you know, almost the same amount of time as you have off after the season finishes before you go back to pre-season again, it's probably actually longer than that. And then they've only had two games and only been training for, I think, about two weeks prior to that. 
And by, by training, I don't mean running at, at, you know around their house or at parks on their own or using their gyms. I'm talking about match fitness training because that, that's the issue here. It's not how fit you are, it's how match fit you are. Uh, so I'd be absolutely made of, amazed if um, players don't get injured from all clubs. And so I think we need all the players we can get. I, I think there's room of Foyth going to Leeds. And while that would be a good move, it would be a good move for a season, not for nine games in the space of you know, like 30, 40 days. So I, I think keep all of our players, because we're going to need all of them, I think. You, you're going to find out... Uh, not so much for like Liverpool or Man City, who will probably finish first or second. Although Man City are only four points ahead of Leicester, um, but certainly like Liverpool won't need it because they'll win that league within the first couple of games. But the rest of them, you're going to find out how good their squads are because they're going to need them all. So I wouldn't be loaning anybody out. Um, but yeah, so games thick and fast. So we have the, there's no game on the 18th. But 17th on the Wednesday, and the 19th, 20th, 21st, uh, we got games. Uh, and then 22nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, nothing on the 26th. So for almost a week there, we've got full-on games constantly every day. So we've got Aston Villa, Sheffield United, which is a real, real interesting one because another issue that I can see is momentum. If you look at Sheffield United, who have had an unbelievable season in seventh only two points off of United two points above us but five points off Champions League but they've got a game in hand so if they played their game first against someone in the bottom heart or Villa and win that they're up to fifth and they've had an unbelievable season and had unbelievable momentum where they you know keep winning games drawing games they don't concede that many goals uh, now all of a sudden that stopped for two three months and now they've got to go again Whereas Villa, the, the complete polar kind of opposite, really, finding wins hard to come by. And uh, yeah, I'll just bring the table up on my computer. For, uh, <laughs> forgive all of the uh, clicking, if you can hear that. But, you know, Villa have lost their last four. And Sheffield United have undefeated in their last four. One draw, three wins. Whereas now, momentum... I mean, it, it could work into Sheffield United's favour because it's Villa Park, which is quite an intimidating atmosphere, but there's going to be no atmosphere there because there's no one there. And it could be tricky for Villa that they, at home, they use that crowd to try and get them back on. But, you know, how many times have you seen after an international break, a team who are flying have the international break and then lose the first game after they come back and the teams who are struggling have the international break and win, you know, teams who are flying, they don't want that break, they want to keep the games coming and coming and coming because they want good form and just keep that going. You have a little break, it kills the momentum, and then you have to kind of find that momentum again when you've all been away and come back. Teams at the bottom, losing, losing, losing. Oh, thank God we've got a break, we won't lose another game here, you know. And then they get to reevaluate, calm down, come back, you know, a different kind of lease of life. So that, that could honestly happen. So I would not be surprised in this that game if Villa win that, or certainly don't lose. I'd be not surprised at all. Man City, Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, some Spurs fans were having a laugh at Arsenal because they lost to Brentford um, in a friendly at home, and then we go and lose to Norwich. Yeah, yeah, they're Premier League. You know, 
Brentford a, a, a championship, but still, the, you look at the form here, last five games, Tottenham 1-2, the first two, then lost, lost, drawn. Arsenal, undefeated, two draws at the start, three wins on the trot. So, slightly different with the Sheffield United, because Sheffield United will be expected to beat Villa after their momentum kill, whereas Arsenal have got momentum and that will be killed, but they're expected to lose probably quite heavily against Man City there. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's at Manchester City, so there'll be no crowd there, so I'd expect Man City to win that, but it could be tricky. Then you've got Norwich at home to Southampton, which is a real six-pointer, really. Well, it's not actually looking at the table. Norwich are quite far off. Southampton are seven points clear. So, yeah. I, I mean, Nor Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth are the bottom three. Bournemouth on 27 points. And then also on 27 points, Watford, West Ham, and then Brighton on 29. Southampton on, four, on 34. So, you're not sure if Southampton are safe. But they've had one win in five uh, in the middle and the third game and two losses each side. Uh and, and, you know, Norwich, not really much better. They've had a draw and a win and then three losses. Um, but, yeah, so that one's difficult to call. But Norwich really need that win there. I think Southampton will be happy with a draw there. And then, you know, they'll, they'll be looking to not get beat rather than go out and get it. Whereas Villa kind of have to go and win, really, against Sheffield United. Uh, Arsenal got nothing to lose against Man City. They're going to be taunt in the uh, thought process of most fans anyway um, and, and Man City need to sew up second uh, they're only four points clear but they've got a game in hand so you'd expect them to be seven points clear of third place Leicester but let's not count our chickens just yet um, but yeah uh, Norwich really need to win and they are an attacking team but again you know will Southampton's momentum of losing be quashed and they'll be thankful for this break I, I think that's quite a good possibility there. They had a real, real good run. I think it must have been towards the end of last year, maybe the beginning of this year, where Danny Ings was scoring for fun. That's basically what's put them, I think, probably safe. Um, but yeah, Norwich have just conceded far too many. They score quite a few, but yeah, so that, that'll be an interesting one. I think Southampton will go for the uh, make sure they don't lose rather than Let's go full out and win this at Norwich. Then you come to our game, Tottenham United. Massive game, massive game for both, really. Man, Man United, three points off of Chelsea. Uh, us, four points off of United, seven off of Chelsea. So, I, I think, as is our, our, our ground, I think Man United would be happy with a draw. They'd obviously want to win, but I think they'd be happy with a draw, not losing and not allowing us to close gaps up but for us it's must win must win and you look at the form United last five drawn one one drawn one us one one lost lost drawn uh, so Man United on the better form us on the worst form obviously uh, but again could that momentum shift of the, of the break of three months be a welcome thing for us uh, what it is welcome for us is uh, during those last three games that, that last win anyone remember no, you're quite wrong. It was Aston Villa. <laughs> this is where it won't be Villa now, but I'm pretty sure it was away to Villa. Um, and that's where Sun got injured. So where it's worked out brilliantly in our favour, 
And and I know Son was injured or potentially injured, but let's ignore that. Let's say he isn't. Uh, after that draw, we had Kane and Son out injured. We had our goals are all injured now. They're both back. So this break has been good for us in that sense because we've got all of our players back and Sissoko in the middle of the pitch as well. And it looks like uh, uh, Ndombele has done quite a lot of work on his fitness. So we could essentially have almost, uh, you know, a third of a new team now. And, you know, a man and I would have been loving to have to play us without Son and without Kane. Whereas now that's not the case. So it's a completely different prospect for them now. And I, I honestly do think with our goals back with those two, that um, those two back and, and we're a completely different prospect and it will give a massive, massive boost to the rest of the team. I think... You could see in the last few games uh, before the break where, where those two were injured, like Mora, Bergwijn, Ali up top. As much as they tried hard, none of them are really an out-and-out -out striker. Son isn't an out-and-out -out striker, but he can play that role. Um, and, you know, as, and Son takes massive responsibility when Kane isn't there and he's our main man when he isn't there. And then when Kane is there and both of them are there, they're, they're both an absolute handful for defenders. And then, you, yeah, you can mark Kane out of the game, and then you've got Son. Without them playing, they, they didn't really know what to do, I don't think, the three of them up top. And I think that filtered down to the team. They were passing all side to side. There was no direct passing because it was like, OK, well, we're not going to score from here, are we? Because we haven't got a striker almost. Now, I think you'll find, as long as the Celso plays or Winks or someone like that who can find a pass, Lamella maybe, I think you'll find a lot more direct passing because they'll be... Uh, confident that something good will happen from it and I, I think that's a massive massive boost for us uh, I, I read that Pogba's out for United which would be a big loss for them but then they, they're on good form and he was out injured for quite a while before the break uh, Vashford who we'll talk about in the second half in non-football terms because he deserves a mention what an absolutely wonderful person he is uh, I did tweet him asking if he could do the brilliant work he's done but could you not score on Friday uh, but you know, when you've got Rashford and Martial and James and Pace like that, where if we've got Sun, I, I would guess Bergwijn. It could be a, a, it could be one of these boring games where both teams are sat back, not wanting to lose, and then it's a counter attack game. I, I think it'll be that, and then when they've got Rashford and Martial and James, they've always got a chance. When we've got Sun, Bergwijn, Kane, we've always got a chance as well. So it's a really intriguing game, and and you know. Will we be affected? Will all home teams be affected by the um, lack of fans? Will all away teams be boosted by the lack of fans? Remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Okay, so I've been waffling on for a little while there, so take a little break. Uh, uh, second half, come back, uh, talk about the rest of the fixtures, uh, and then uh, mention the special mention to uh, Marcus Rashford for what he's been doing um, during this lockdown. So back in a bit. And we're back. So that, 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 just before the break, that was the United game at home. Next game, another home game, West Ham, which we usually struggle with against West Ham, but that's usually at uh, Upton Park or, or London Stadium although we didn't uh, this season. So hopefully we'll win that as well. We, we've got quite a few 
home games. I, I read it was six home games, three away games, but I think it's five and four. But we've got more home games than away. Um, so if we can beat Man United, that momentum shift of uh, that I was talking about that, that wasn't there uh, at the start of the season, uh, the just before the break, sorry. Uh, you know, we suddenly, you know, first game back, get a win. And it's almost like a start of the season again. It's almost like, okay, your season is nine games long now. Win as many games as you can, see how far you can climb up the league. And it's pretty much like that for every team, apart from Liverpool, I think, which <laughs> there's just like a two-game season for them to win the league, crown champions, and then be done with it. And then they can play the rest of their reserves and everything like that. But, um, yeah, I... I I just think if we can win that game against Man United, play well, get our players back, two, that our two goal scorers scoring again, gives us massive belief, massive momentum. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's up until the 19th, uh, you know, our game against United. So, 20th, there's four games there. Watford, Leicester. So, what, Watford are a weird one, I think, because under Nigel Pearson, they had a real bit of a revival and then they've kind of slumped recently. Uh, just above the relegation zone on goal difference. Um, if Troy Deeney plays, which I, he quite rightly said he's protecting his family's health by not playing or training, which is absolutely correct. Uh, but then I read on Twitter whether it's true that he is playing and training again now, so whether he was forced into that or he was reassured that it was all safe. But he's a massive player for them. Massive player. Not just in ability, but in terms of just he's a leader out there. And it, it may be difficult for the, you know, because I think when he's a leader out there, the fans respond to that, but obviously that's not going to be happening. Um, but yeah, he, he'll be lacking match fitness because he didn't train for a little while when the rest of the players will, but the, they need a massive win and Leicester don't need a win. They don't, they're not desperate for wins because they're five points clear of Chelsea in fourth. But they'll want to sew that third place up as soon as possible. Uh, but therefore, you know, drawn, drawn, lost, lost, won. You, know, they were, you could argue that that last win just before the uh, um, uh, uh, lockdown, you know, OK, our, moment, our bad run's out of the way, we're going to get into a good run of form here, and then all of a sudden, whack, no, you're not playing anymore. So will they go back to another loss again? And, you know, they're away to Watford who really need to win, really need to win. That'll be interesting, but when you've got Vardy there, you've always got a chance, and Watford's defence isn't the best. That's why they're down where they are. You've got Brighton and Arsenal. Brighton, again, another team needing a win. Arsenal really kind of needing a win. They're not out of the top four, but I think they've got a game in hand as well, so if they win that, they're above us. So, yeah, so we're not at the top four race, and neither are Arsenal. Their issue this season is too many draws. 13 draws out of 28 games. It's almost half the games they've drawn. They've only lost six. Um, and they've only won nine. Uh, but for them, it, it's a rebuilding thing. It has been for a while since uh, Wenger left. But, you know, it'll be interesting. But they had three wins, two draws in the last game. So they were cooking. Um, so I, I honestly think the momentum could be a tricky one for them. And then the break, a tricky one for them. And then Brighton, just above the relegation zone, two points clear. I quite like Brighton. Again, they've, they've had 11 draws. They've only lost 12 games, which is a lot. But like when you consider the teams below them, West Ham, 16 losses. Watford, 14. Bournemouth, Villa, and Norwich are 16, 17, 18. 12 isn't that bad. But like no one below them has got double-figure draws. Um 
Um, but Brighton, I think, will probably take a nil-nil or a draw against Arsenal just because Arsenal are above them. But uh, Brighton will be wanting to win. Then you've got West Ham Wolves. Wolves are another team pushing for um, top four. They're two points off of a... They're just above Sheffield United in goal difference, uh, but they haven't got the game in hand, so they're two points off United, five Chelsea. Uh, brilliant team, Wolves. I love watching Wolves, apart from when they're playing us. But brilliant team, brilliant manager. They haven't lost in five, three draws, two wins. Um, again, I keep going back to the momentum. Will the momentum have an impact? West Ham. I've a bit of a... I don't really know what to make of West Ham, really. I mean, just they're changing managers all the time, and people have a go at uh, Levy for being a crook, but like their their owners are even worse. And I don't know, was uh, Moyes starting to make progress? But they've had a draw, loss, loss, win, loss. So were they making progress? Who knows? But intimidating place to go, uh, London Stadium. But there's no fans there, so. The issue with the London Stadium is why I'm so pleased that we didn't get it is White Hart Lane traditionally and the, the new stadium now, the fans are close to the pitch, so it's an intimidating atmosphere. London Stadium, I went there to watch Guns N' Roses a few years ago, it's almost like a taxi ride from the pitch to the first first row of, of fans, and now you're going to have no fans there at all, so it's going to be even more or less intimidating, <laughs> even more less intimidating as doesn't make sense. Even less intimidating for Wolves. So I think Wolves could win that. Brighton Arsenal, you'd back an Arsenal win. Watford Leicester, I think that could be a draw. You've got Bournemouth Palace. Palace are pretty much safe. I think 39 points, 12 points off of relegation. I think they're pretty safe, but I think they're a bit too far away to challenge for top four. Maybe Europa League place, they're only a four points away from that. Three wins on the on the bounce. So again, that, that could be the momentum killer there, the, the lockdown. But I think they're fairly safe. And then Bournemouth, bang in trouble. Haven't had a win in four. I like Bournemouth. I like Eddie Howe and I like Bournemouth. So I hope they stay up. But I, I think I can't see them winning that one, to be honest. I just can't see them winning that one. Uh, and then you start to go into the second round of games for, for certain teams. Newcastle, Sheffield United. Apologies for the noise as it started uh, tipping it down here. Uh, Newcastle, Sheffield United. Newcastle, again, I think will be hit one of the hardest with the lack of fans because that atmosphere up there is is just... No matter how they're doing up there, the fans always turn up in their like 50,000 and always shout and cheer and give their all. And that's gone. And Sheffield United don't really concede goals. Newcastle, though, I think are pretty safe. Well, they're only a point above Southampton, so they're not safe like Crystal Palace, I'd say. But I, I think Newcastle will be all right. Uh, but yeah, I can't see them winning that game. I can see it being a draw, but I can't see them winning. I can see Sheffield United nicking a goal, but I can't see Newcastle winning. Villa, Chelsea. This is the bit, another big one for us because Chelsea are involved away to Villa. Villa need a win. Chelsea need a win just to um, cement that top four, which for Lampard would be a brilliant season for him. They've had a win, draw, win in the last three. Uh, and we talk about momentum, but Chelsea haven't really had any momentum this season. They've been very, very inconsistent, which is why they're fourth and not any higher. So I don't think the, 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 the 
lockdown will really affect them because it hasn't it won't affect any of the momentum because the momentum hasn't been there all season. So unfortunately, I think they'll win that. Then you've got Everton, Liverpool, Everton are where they normally are, just in mid-table, so not really doing anything. But the next season or the season after will uh, dictate a lot of what happens with them. I can't even remember who their manager is now. It's poor, isn't it? Oh, Ancelotti. It's Ancelotti, isn't it? Uh, it's a tricky one. Because of this situation, someone like Everton would have been spending big in the transfer window to get Ancelotti's players in. They've got a lot of money there so they can afford the wages. But then this current situation... Teams are losing money. Um, are they going to be able to afford all of those players now and stick within financial fair play? So it could be a tricky one for Everton, but Ancelotti is a brilliant manager. Uh, Everton as well, in 12th, Liverpool top, Liverpool miles ahead. Uh, it's a pity because a London, not a London derby, but we have got Arsenal coming up. But a derby, the Merseyside derby is a big one. And the fans make a large part of that. So without the fans, it's going to be a weird one. Um, you'd expect Liverpool to win that, but you just never know in a derby. Although I would say Liverpool in this, A, because they're so much better than anyone else in the league. B, because... Even though it is a derby, they haven't got the fans and the intimidating atmosphere to deal with, so I think they'll win that fairly easy. Um, yeah, and then we're back to the 22nd with Man City, Burnley. Uh, we haven't mentioned Burnley yet, but um, I think Man City at home will win that fairly comfortably. Uh, I like Burnley, I like Sean Dyche. Uh, I, said, I said on Twitter to someone yesterday as well, uh, someone was asking what should we do with Lois, should we, why should we get rid of him, some people are thinking about that. I just think he makes too many mistakes for someone for a team who want to be in the top four, and he has. It's not suddenly like oh, you know, he's just suddenly made a mistake or mistakes. He's been doing it for a few years now. Um, I just think it's not good enough for someone who want to be in the top four. So speaking of Burnley, I'd I'd be going for someone like Nick Nick Pope. I think he's uh, shown himself to be really assured. It's good, young, and he'll only get better. Issue, money. A good keeper is going to cost at least, I reckon, £40 million plus, and we just don't have that money. And there's more important areas that we need to address in the team. Um, but anyway, about back to this game. I think Man City will win that fairly comfortably. Burnley as well are, are fairly, they're in 10th, same points as uh, Palace, they're safe. Possibly pushing for a Europa League place, but I think, I mean, they've had a good run of form. Draw, 1-1, draw, draw, but this is Man City at home. Man City will win that, I think. Uh, scored the most amount of goals in the league, Man City. So I think they'll win that fairly comfortably. Um, but yeah, back to Nick Pope. Um, not Nick Pope, the transfers. Even though I, I like a new keeper, I think it's going to be too expensive. So hopefully Lois can get back to where he is, was at his best. Um, but yeah, uh, Nick Pope is certainly one for the future I'll be looking at when we can afford it. But I think that the... the, the Biggest transfer rumour that we've had, which I think is the most important, is Hoiberg from Southampton. He's a defensive midfielder. He's not like one of our defensive midfielders who want to keep going forward. He will just stay there, stay deep. And I think we're crying out for that. So I mentioned on Twitter for a few people as well. I don't think our defence is the problem. I think the defence is fairly good, fairly solid. Oh, it's thundering out there now. 
literally I started this like half an hour ago and it was absolutely sunny, absolutely crazy weather. Sky TV went off yesterday with a thunder as well, absolutely ridiculous weather when you consider we've had bright sunshine for weeks on end before. But anyway, completely gone off on a tangent there. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think the defence is a problem. I don't think it's the best defence in the league and I think it's a little bit slow and then you've got Orvio who's making mistakes and the decision making is pretty terrible and Tanganga was doing that. He's another injury thing as well which I think I don't believe that. I reckon it's just a bit of a pull or just lack of uh, playing. Um, but yeah, the defence I don't think is a problem. I think it's the midfield. You've got a combination of Sissoko when he, before he was injured, Winks, uh, Lamella's played in there a little bit, uh, Undombele, I'm sure I've missed someone, so I apologise. But the, the the one thing that all of those players have in common is that they want to go forward, either join up with the attack or just skip past a few people and then give it and then hold that position. What we had with Wanyama and Dyer back in the day, <laughs> back in the day, a few years ago, four years ago, three years ago, um, is either they wouldn't go forward at all, they'd just give it to someone else, or they'd go forward, give the ball, and then drop back into their position. And we don't have anyone like that. Um, and Hoiberg does that. He, he's uh, more of a get the ball, give it to someone, stay there. But I think the, the issue that we've got is we, we play with two central midfielders. I mean, Dyer doesn't really go forward, but his injuries have just completely knackered his fitness out and, and his mobility. Um, but he needs someone in there to help. And I think that the midfielders that we're playing just want to go forward. We lose the ball. And then it's essentially the attackers against the back four. And you could have the best defence in the world, but if they're constantly under pressure and constantly being attacked... Eventually, the, the attackers are going to uh, uh, win. And I think, you know, Orvia, I don't think he's a bad defender. I just think his decision-making, and I think possibly his decision-making is because he's under pressure a lot of the time. I mean, how many times have you seen in this season and maybe towards the end of last season where the full-backs were getting absolutely rinsed every time because they were one-on-one -on -one with the defenders? That's the midfield, not tracking back. And that's the easy ball, uh, you know. Yeah, so I mentioned that in the last one, but yeah, I don't think the defence is a that much of a problem. I think it's a fairly good defence, maybe ageing and a little bit slow, but you know, John Terry wasn't quick for his entire career, one of the best defenders in the world. You don't have to be quick. And Carvalho wasn't exactly quick next to him as well, but they were one of the best of his decision-making and positioning and reading of the game, which our defenders do have. Certainly for Tongan and Alderweireld, I think Sanchez could be a worldy defender. He just needs to learn from the best and not make mistakes. So if he can learn from Alderweireld, that will stand him in good stead. Same with Foyth. But yeah, so I think Hoiberg is the, the must-sign player. And, you know, he wants to leave, so just go get him. I, I, I don't think it's going to cost like £40 million. I think you could probably get him for 15 with Levy's negotiating skills. Fraser, a... Uh, Back, nice backup and, and you know squad player and, and you know option off the bench he's direct so it'll give uh, the the sons Bergvines Moras maybe not Ali because he plays wide and Ali doesn't but give those three certainly something to think about if I'm not pulling my weight then I might be dropped we need a striker but you know who are you gonna get 
So I'd like to see Power have a go if, if his uh, operation that he had, I think he had his appendix out. Um, goes well, give him a few shots. Not, not, not necessarily this season, I'm talking about next season now. Um, and try and get a winner in that. The Rakitic would be amazing. Like, Coutinho on a loan would be great. Even Ramsey. Ramsey was rumoured. And I know that would be a lot of people going, boo, Arsenal, boo. But, you know, he's won things and, and, you know, he always puts a shift in. He's got a bit of bite in the midfield as well. A bit of a lightweight midfield now. A bit of a soft touch. You don't really go crunching into tackles. When we had Wanyama, strong as an ox, along with Dembele, you know, crunching into tackles. Now it seems too easy to get through us. I think we've gone a little bit soft. But I think Hoiberg would be my number one of those. Fraser, because he's free and a good squad player. Uh, but if you get Rakitic or, or Ramsey or even Coutinho, Coutinho, you know, you got then, you know, the Celso, creative, who gets taken out of the game and marked out of the game. You've got someone else on the other side doing it. So I think all of those players will be my picks. And they won't cost that much money. And of those four, really, if you only got a loan for Coutinho, all you're paying for, really, is the wages and Hoiberg's fee. So just get it done. Get it done. Although I think it would be after this season... Um, and certainly in, in July. But yeah, they'll be the players that I'll be getting. And obviously, I'd, I'd like a new keeper, but that's going to have to wait. So to end on this episode, I think it's uh, only right to talk about one of the positive things to come out of this lockdown. And that positive thing is Marcus Rashford. And I know this is a Spurs podcast, but it's also a football podcast. And, and you know, I've also talked about the coronavirus and, and other things that unrelate to football. What he's been doing, like you, you had Sam Smith, who's got all this money, popular celebrity, crying because he's stuck at home and bored. You know, when the vast majority of people haven't even got ten percent of his wealth, like couldn't give two shits about what he's doing. And you got Marcus Rashford, which he's essentially, I wouldn't say single-handedly, but he's been the driving force between Boris Johnson now U-turning and committing 120 million to free school meals after Johnson originally cancelled all of those. You know, a government who care about the people until, uh, you know, when who care about the people, but only when someone criticises them and then points out what they're doing wrong. Uh, he also created a charity and it's raised 20 million to help feed almost 3 million kids. And another campaign to help the homeless. And he also learned, which is just staggering, learned sign language to judge a school poetry competition at a deaf school. Just, I mean, obviously that's from Twitter. I don't know the guy, so I don't know for certain that that's true, apart from the letter about the uh, free school meals, because he, he posted that directly from his Twitter thing. Uh, but I don't know the other ones, but I've got no reason to doubt that. So, Let's go on the proviso. All of those are true. Unbelievable. And, and for a 22-year-old as well, when you've got like celebrities in their 30s, 40s or whatever, who are just doing absolutely nothing, really. Uh, and I'm not having a go at m most footballers here because most footballers club together, and uh, certainly in the Premier League, club together to give some of their wages away and uh, give to the NHS. It's, 
absolutely teeming down. Oh my goodness. Well, anyone who likes swimming, come to Bratton. You can do it for free in the car park outside my flat. Uh, apologies for the noise there. Uh, I can only imagine it's quite loud. Um, but yeah, and so he's raised that, he's used that platform and his um, uh, level of stardom for good rather than just sitting doing nothing. And, and, you know, majority of footballers, like I say, did raise a lot of money for the NHS. And it comes after Matt Hancock having a go at footballers to say you should be doing something, you should be giving some of your wages away to help the NHS. And when it came to it, Matt Hancock refused to drop his own wages. So again, it's just the government, you know, oh, let's, let's focus and, and pass the blame onto someone else who we know the public will uh, jump on the bandwagon and have a go at them. And when it comes to it, we won't do anything. We'll just have a go at them again. So footballers with the NHS thing have, and Marcus Rashford completely have put the government and other people in, in celebrity status who aren't doing anything to absolute shame. Absolute shame. And it just it's a sad state of affairs that it comes to, comes, you know, Boris Johnson, he, he cut the funding for free school meals. Um and for those of you who don't know, because I read about it and then I read the letter that Marcus Rashford's mum used to work all the hours of God send, she was a single mum, so he used to have to work all the hours God send to just afford clothes and food. So he relied primarily a lot when he was at school on the free school meals. And now we're in lockdown, those school meals were provided for kids in a similar situation, and then the government stopped them, uh, so they didn't have to pay for it. And then, basically, Rashford, going from his own experience, like, these kids will go hungry because the parents can't afford it. And now, it's not like the situation it was for him. It's a situation now where the parents can't afford anything because they've lost their jobs as well. And then you get morons who say, well, perhaps people shouldn't have kids and they can't afford them. Absolute fucking morons. There's no time for them. So, yeah, so Marcus Rashford wrote a, a huge letter to... I'm not sure, though, if it was to all MPs, Labour and every uh, party, or just Conservatives. Uh, but I did read that uh, Keir Starmer mentioned it, and it was uh, one of his main priorities in the uh, well, Prime Minister's question time or whatever. But yeah, I digress on that. But my point is, it's a sad state of affairs that a government who proclaim to care about the country and the less well-off and all the public, you know, and, and let's uh, ignore the, the, the lies they've told us and the you know the, the whole Dominic Cummings thing and all the other stuff. Let's ignore all of that stuff. It's a sad state of affairs that a government that say they care about all the people in the country, the well-off and the less well-off, you know, it's a sad state of affairs that it takes a 22-year-old footballer, 22-year-old footballer, to use a platform because he's got millions of, of followers because he's in the public eye and he's famous and he's a proper quality footballer. It takes a 22-year-old to raise a complaint, if you like, to say this is wrong, you should be doing this, for the government to make a U-turn when it's a government who claim they care about people, only make the U-turn once a famous person gets on their back and then the Twitter community gets on their back as well. Like, you know government that cares about the country shouldn't have been cancelling that stuff anyway and it just goes to show that they couldn't give a fuck about the lesser people than them they only care about like you know 
the rich people and the, 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 you know, the well-off people. It's just a sad, sad state of affairs. But Marcus Rashford did campaign about it because that's the only way they'll listen. He campaigned about it while he's still training and, and doing these other charity things and learning sign language. Unbelievable. I, end sports personality of the year now. If anyone wins anything like trophies and stuff like that, Jordan Henderson will win the uh, Premier League. Pales into significance, surely, for like compassion and just decent humanity that Marcus Rashford has shown. So, change of all books, sports personality is given to a sportsman, not just for their sporting uh, achievements, but for their general humanity achievements. And Marcus Rashford should be winning. And if he doesn't win, he should at least get some kind of special recognition award. Although, like I said... Uh, with Raheem Sterling and his thoughts on racism. They're not doing it for, for awards and stuff like that. They're doing it for, to raise awareness. So if they didn't win an award, they wouldn't be that bothered. They'd be more bothered about it, raising awareness and things changing. But in order to raise awareness, giving an award at a Sports Personality of the Year when it's, it, it's a huge audience who watches that will help raise awareness. And Raheem Sterling should also get something for his racism talking on racism and, and bringing that to attention as well. I'm sure that was this year. Was that the Chelsea game or was that last year? I can't remember now. It's been so long. But either way, that's a way to raise awareness for, for these great causes. And Marcus Rashford, unbelievable. 22-year-old who, when I was 22, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was still learning who I was and all that kind of stuff. And for him, at 22-year-old, to do this stuff and make this point and look after the, the, the people less well-off than him when a 56-year-old charlatan can't be bothered to do it, even though he says he cares, just speaks volumes about Marcus Fashion. But please, Marcus, don't score on Friday. That's a wonderful thing. Score as many goals as you want, just not on Friday. Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, so I, I just wanted to raise that because I think it's an important thing and it just shows that Footballers get a bad press. Footballers get a bad press and not all of them are, are bad. And that's about it for this episode. Uh, nice positive one about football coming back and positive uh, things done by footballers uh, to, to make real, real positive change rather than just doing stuff to get a bit of a round of applause but real positive change and a real good news story from this horrible time at the moment um, so yeah enjoy the football hopefully it, it's all okay by that I mean I don't mean Tottenham winning but although I hope they do but what I mean is that no one gets sick from it and it doesn't create a second wave or anything although yeah and then we can enjoy football and sport back again and we can start going back to a bit of normality so got Man United on Friday so depending on how that goes, I may need time to cool off, uh, but I'll do a podcast based on that. Um, and then it'll be back to normal for the podcast, hopefully. So back soon. Come on, new Spurs. <laughs>